I invite you to stand as you're able and body or in spirit for our gospel lesson this morning. Our gospel lesson this morning is going to be Luke chapter 24. We're going to be reading verses 13 through 35 of Luke 24. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still looking sad. One of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place in these days? He asked them, what things? They replied, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some of the women of our group astounded us. They, went, they were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those were, who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are! How slow of heart to believe all the prophets had declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to, to them the things about himself and all the scriptures. And they came near to the village where they were going. And he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly saying, stay with us because, because it is almost evening and the day is now over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told them what had happened on the road. And how he, had made, how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. This, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. This passage is a passage of mistaken identity. We've all, at some point in our life, that, that one of the most embarrassing things that we have all done, we've all done it, every last one of us, is you know you're sitting at a restaurant or you're somewhere and you see a friend of yours and you wave, hey, hey, how you doing? And then you realize, oh, that's not my friend. That's a complete stranger. And now I look stupid. That's, we've all been there. We, we have all been there in a place or time where we thought we saw a friend and went to speak to them, and turns out it was somebody that we just did not know. I've had that happen. It's going to shock you. I'm really good at putting my foot in my mouth. If you don't believe me, just watch one of my Wednesday night Bible studies at church. Uh, I'm also really good at just making a fool of myself. It's one of my spiritual gifts. Some are apostles, some prophets, some just do really stupid things, and I'm one of the ones gifted with the ability to do really stupid things. When I was um, a senior at Mississippi College, um, 
my first year, when I transferred from, from Colian to MC, I, I lived in Crestman, which I think now is a girl's dorm, which is just bizarre that Crestman's a girl's dorm to me. Um, but my senior year, uh, about 12 of us lived in a, what was the old infirmary there on campus, in, in a house basically. We had about 12 guys had a little house on campus called, called Far Hall. We lived there. We had basically two of us to a room. Uh, and it was a great experience. I made some really dear friends. One of the best experiences of my life was getting to, to live in Far Hall. But one of my, one of my housemates, um, I, you know, Holly has redone our, uh, a lot of the pictures in our home recently. And there's, she's updated all the pictures. And we have a lot of new pictures of us and family and things. And, and I was looking at these pictures and realized, man, seeing these pictures made me realize I need to regrow my beard because my beard looked awesome. Uh, my wife disagreed with that statement strongly but I'm tempted to grow my beard back because of that. But I had a roommate in college, that man he had, I mean, he had a Duck Dynasty beard before Duck Dynasty beards were a thing, man. He had, it was phenomenal. It was long and lush and amazing. And I used to mess with him all the time about his beard. Like I'd mess with him, I'd go up to him and, I, and I, I, I'd kind of pull on it like a little billy goat and mess with him. And then one day on campus, I see my buddy going, walking out of the cafeteria. So I'm like, well, I'm going to go get him. I see him. I'm going to go get him. So I run up to him and I, 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 start, I, start, mess, I start kind of rubbing on his beard and pulling on it, messing with it and just kind of messing with his beard there trying to embarrass him. And then I look at him and I realize that's not my friend. That's a complete stranger. And I have no clue who he is. So there's this complete, there's this guy walking out of the cafeteria at MC and this crazy person runs up to them and start, who they don't know, and starts pulling their beard and messing with them. What do you think they're going to do? So all I can do at that point was I just look at the stranger and just say, I am so sorry. And I just walk off because there ain't no fixing that one. I had done stiffed in it. So some, sometimes in life, our only option is to apologize and leave. That's all we can do. So at that point, I just apologized and left because obviously this person who I thought was my friend was not my friend. Mistaken identity. That's why I don't mess with folks' beards nowadays, Tim, because that, that broke me. That was a one-time mistake. That was a one-time mistake right there. Mistaken identities. We have a, a case of mistaken identities in the scripture today on this walk to Emmaus. If you, I, this passage means a lot to me personally because I, I have done uh, the renewal um, weekend called Walk to Emmaus. Some of you have done uh, Crescio, which is very similar. Um, and this notion of this Jesus walking with us is a powerful, powerful, powerful allegory and story for us to think about. But this to me is, a, is such an interesting text because notice how it starts off. Notice how it starts off. It says, it says that they were walking. It says they were talking about all that had happened. And the word in Greek for talking there isn't just having a conversation. They were debating. They were, they were passionate about what had happened. And they were talking back and forth about all that happened to Jesus. And then it says that Jesus appeared to them, that there's Jesus. And think, okay, guys, here's the thing. These people knew Jesus. They, it says they were disciples. Now, they were not part of the 12. If you read in the Gospels, you see Jesus has different levels of disciples. 
He has the three that he's closest to, Peter, James, and John. Then he has the apostles, the 12. But then he has about another 70 of people that followed very closely to him because the gospels tell us that at one point he sent these 70 out two by two to do ministry. So most likely these two disciples that were on the road to Emmaus were among that 70, not necessarily in the inner circle like the apostles, but they were very close to Jesus. So here's the thing. They would have known who Jesus was. Jesus was not a stranger to them. They would have known who he was. And yet there he is in their midst they don't recognize him. Now, it's interesting. We're going to see why. It's, we actually see that they were prevented from, under, from knowing who he was. But I just think it's so interesting that these people who knew Jesus, they knew Jesus. Yet they couldn't see him. Now, let me ask you a question. Was Jesus there with them at this time? Of course he was. He was literally walking with them. He was literally walking with them on this road. But they couldn't see him. They didn't see him. In fact, they felt like he had left them. When you read John 14, Jesus tells them, I will not leave you orphaned. I'm coming to you. We see that these disciples at this point were longing for Jesus, they were hoping that he was raised. That this thing happened. The women told us, and, and we, don't, we can't believe it. Jesus was there with them the whole time. But they couldn't see it. It wasn't like Jesus was absent from them. He was there the entire time. They just couldn't see it. There's so many times in our life we feel like Jesus is not with us. We feel like Jesus has left us, like he has forsaken us, that he is not there with us. And we see in this text, these disciples thought they were alone. They thought Jesus had left them. They thought Jesus was dead and gone and no more. And what do we see when we see the text? We see that is not true. We see that Jesus is there with them the entire time. He had not left them. He had not forsaken them. He had returned to them. And they may have felt alone. They may not have been able to see Jesus. But when we read the text, we see that Jesus was there with them the entire time, even though they could not see him. Right now, right now, you may feel alone. You may feel right now like God has left you. You may feel overwhelmed by your circumstance. You may feel afraid of the future. You may have cabin fever like you can't understand. You may feel, you may be stressed out you know, you, you, may be, you may be tired of being stuck together with family. You, I don't know where you are right now. I don't. One of the things as a pastor I've come to learn is I don't always know where my people are. Not just physically, but spiritually. I don't know what's going on in your life right now. I don't know what's going on in your heart right now. I don't know any of these things. But I know, I know that right now some of you may feel like these disciples in this text. And you feel like Jesus has left you. But friends, friends, just like the disciples in this text realize he has not left you. And just because you can't see him doesn't mean he's not there.
And just because you can't feel him doesn't mean he's not there. His word is clear. He will not leave nor forsake his children. He has not left you. He is with you. But it's interesting in this text. We see they could not see him. It isn't until later their eyes are open and they could see him. But in the text today, we see there are actually two things, two gifts that Jesus gave to these disciples to help them see him. The first, it says, it says, and then he took the scriptures beginning with Moses and going through all the scriptures. By the way, for Jesus and these disciples, those scriptures would have been the Old Testament. He took all the scriptures and showed how they pointed towards him. That all the Bible points towards Jesus. From Genesis to Revelation, all of Scripture is pointing to Jesus. That is the point of Scripture is to point us to Jesus. Scripture exists so that we can know Jesus. Remember what John said when we read about Thomas? He said, this was given that you may come to know that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus takes all the Bible from Genesis, going all the way through what they had, saying how this pointed to him, how he had to suffer and die and then go into his glory. All of the Bible is pointing to him. Jesus is revealed to us through Holy Scripture. He has given us Scripture to reveal himself to us. And right now in this time and in this place, Scripture is given to us for us to read, know, memorize, internalize. I love how Paul says at one point, let the word of God richly dwell within you. Scripture is given for us to let it sink in deep into our soul. Right now, in this in-between time, if you will, it's truly our time to dig into the Bible. I was saved I was converted to, to being a Christian. The Christmas break of my summer, uh, the Christmas break of my senior year, I was playing um, volleyball at school at an FCA thing, and I went up to spike the ball using my tremendous vertical leap. I probably got an inch or two off the ground and landed on my ankle funny and messed it up pretty bad. So I spent that entire Christmas break basically with two buckets. Bucket of hot water, bucket of cold water. In just the entire Christmas break, I'd, every five minutes, I was going my foot from one to the other. Because my goal was to get my foot working decent where I could start back to school when school started. So I spent that entire Christmas break laid up. You know, and like so some of you teenagers out there that just feel trapped in your home, I understand. I was there. That was just two weeks. You've been there a little bit longer than I have. But I was basically stuck in my home. And so my mama got me something. She got me a Bible. And I had plenty of Bibles. It wasn't like I lacked for Bibles. But she got me a Bible that was kind of age appropriate for me. It was a teenage study Bible. I could still see the cover of it. I started reading it. And when I read that Bible, read the pages of that Bible, I felt God call out to me. I felt my need for God increase. And I found there a God who loved me and a God who saved me. And I was saved in my bedroom, reading the Bible one night, crying out to God saying, God changed me, God saved me. I can't keep going like this, God, I need you. And he saved me. 
He saved me. And that happened through Holy Scripture. He's given us the Bible to know him. So right now, wherever you find yourself, use this moment to truly read Scripture, to truly learn his word, to truly allow it to penetrate your heart. Because friends, I promise you, I promise you, if you will truly read the Bible, listening for God's voice, he will change your life. He's changed mine. and He's changed billions of people before me. He's changed their lives through Scripture. He's revealed to these disciples through the reading of Scripture. And the other way he's revealed in this text, it says they go inside. It says when they're inside, so he takes bread and breaks it, and it says their eyes are open that they know that it's Jesus. And then they go back and tell about what happened, and it says he was revealed to us through the breaking of bread. Um, there's phrases in Scripture that point to something bigger. Anytime in the Bible, anytime in the Bible, you see something about breaking bread, blessing bread, bread, that is supposed to point us to communion. For these disciples, for these disciples, when Jesus blessed the bread and broke it, he was revealed to them. And in the breaking of that bread, Jesus was made known to them in a powerful way. Just like when we break the bread and the bread is given through the gift of Holy Communion, he is revealed to us in amazing ways. Our, our church believes that when we break the bread, and the bread, when the bread is blessed and broken and passed out, we, we believe the bread, the official Methodist teaching is we believe the bread remains bread. But we believe that the Holy Spirit, through these elements of bread and juice, allows, the Spirit uses these things to reveal to us the real presence of Christ within our hearts. And we believe that Christ is really and fully present within our hearts through the gift of Holy Communion. And that when we break the bread, when the, bre when the bread is blessed and broken and given, the spirit moves and the real presence of Christ is made known to our hearts through his Holy Spirit. And that when we do that, when we do that, we see him and we know him. Now, I hadn't even talked to Tim about this. But I promise you, friends, the first Sunday we gather back together in this sanctuary as the body of Christ, we take in communion. We take in communion together as the body of Christ the first time we're back in this place. You can, you can, you can, you can write that in your calendar in ink. That's happening. That's one of the things I miss right now. I do. But we need to remember that it's going to happen. One of, the, one, of the, one of the most powerful stories I ever heard was a story that John McCain told. And if you don't know about, I'm, well, I'm sure everybody watching this right now knows about McCain's story as a prisoner of war. He tells this powerful story <clears throat> about one of his uh, cellmates um, who um, took some fabric and some, some, a bam, I made a, literally made a bamboo needle took this fabric and actually in the back in the, in, in the, in the inside of one of his shirts that he wore, he, 
literally stitched with some thread and some old fabric and a bamboo needle. He stitched an American flag. And every morning when he woke up, he hung that flag up and he said the Pledge of Allegiance every morning. And the Vietnamese found out and they destroyed it and they beat him up pretty bad. And they threw him back in the cell. A few minutes later, McCain looked over and saw this prisoner with literally his eyes nearly nearly closed shut because of, because of the abuse he'd taken. And there he was with another bamboo needle stitching together an American flag so that every morning he could do the Pledge of Allegiance. He remembered who he was. And even though he wasn't able to be home in America, even though he's away from his family, he remembered who he was. Don't forget who you are. And don't forget we're going to be together one day. And don't forget that one day we're going to take that bread. And we're going to take those cups. And we're going to share communion together. And we are going to experience Jesus like we have never experienced before. And y'all, it's going to be amazing. It is going to be amazing. And my heart leaps with expectation for the moment when this body can gather together again. And take the bread and take the cup and experience the real presence of Christ in that moment. It's going to happen. And we may feel like we're in exile. And we may feel like we're not home. And we may feel far away from home. But do not forget who you are. And do not forget whose you are. He has marked you with his grace. He has claimed you with his own. And one day, one day soon, we are going to gather together around his table. And we're going to have the wedding feast of the Lamb. Because remember, y'all, just like we're waiting now for communion, the communion meal now is a foreshadowing what we're going to have one day in heaven. So we long with expectation towards this body to be together soon again. But even greater still, let that longing, let that longing, that expectation of this body together actually be the fire that fans within our hearts, the longing and expectation for the glorious body of Christ to be together for all of eternity. When there'll be no more sickness, pain, and death. When there'll be no more coronavirus, or there'll be no more cancer, or there'll be no more heart disease, or there'll be no more death and pain and loss, but, the, but, the, but God will wipe away every tear from our eye. And we will forever be with the Lord. Don't forget. Don't forget who you are. Don't forget where your home is. Don't forget where you're going. These disciples did not recognize Jesus in their midst. But through Scripture, through communion, they saw him. Today, you may not feel like he's there. You may feel like he's somewhere else. You may feel like he's forgotten you or forsaken you. No, 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 friends. No, 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 no. 
He's there. He's there. He's there. I promise you he's there. Just like he was there in scripture today, he's there with you now. May our loving heavenly father give us the grace to open our eyes, to allow us to see the presence of his resurrected son in our midst now and forever. Let's pray.